When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Enzo's death was the one death, probably of the whole series, where I think we all wondered if we went too far. We knew we needed Stefan to do something absolutely unforgivably horrible, you know, because that was that journey. Stefan, listen to me. Let me guess. You're gonna appeal to my humanity and my brotherly bond. Think about Elena, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to think about anything. Just turn around, I'll meet you wherever you want. Yeah? And then what? Then. Whatever anger you're working through, man, you can just take it out on me. I am taking it out on you. I'm on my way to murder Elena. Stefan. In fact, Waze says I'll be there in five minutes. You don't have to do this for Cade. I'm not doing this for Cade. I'm doing this for me. What? When Kate first suggested this idea, I was like, God, why didn't I think of that? Oh, I know why, because I've been too busy taking care of my brother. You don't have to take care of me, ever again. I got this, I'm good. I'll take care of both of us, Stefan. No, you won't, Damon, you're not capable of it. But you'll keep trying to interfere with everything as long as we're connected through her. That is why I want Elena gone. I swear to God, Stefan, if you hurt her, You were dead to me. That's exactly my point. I want to cause her death so you can blame me for it. Because then, you will finally stop trying to save me. And I will be free of you forever. This is not the answer, man. Leave Elena out of this. I am begging you, Stefan. Welcome back to Entertainment Weekly's Binge of the Vampire Diaries. I'm your host, Sam Heifel, and I'm joined by executive producer Julie Pleck, writer Brett Matthews, and star Michael Malarkey to talk all about season eight. As we say with every episode, there's a series-wide spoiler alert on this. I mean, we're quite literally spoiling the end at this point. But if we decide to go back and talk about earlier seasons, we can do that too, which I actually am going to do. This is I start every episode by acting like I'm surprised that I'm going to do this, but I do this every episode. <laughs> um, I want to start because we have Michael, and obviously season eight is not your first season of the show. I want to start with your introduction to the series and kind of were you aware of vampire diaries before you joined it um marginally i was living in england at the time in london so i was mainly focusing all of my brain power on theater stuff i was mostly working in the theater doing stuff at the national and the west end but i'd heard of the show and i'd Mm -hmm. you know it, it was being played on a network over there and i remember randomly catching it one night um, but that's literally all I knew before I got the job. Yeah, I, I auditioned. The role was initially called Eli, um, yeah. if you guys remember that. Oh, yeah. Eli. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he was the audition scene. I remember one of them, he'd gone on some crazy feeding frenzy, and Stefan's at the door. He goes, what's going on, dude? Like, hey, join in on the party, you know, and it was so initially a scene. I don't know if they were initially supposed to be more friends with with each other than him and Damon or whatever, or if it was just a ghost scene. And then the other scene, I'm allowed to say all this, right? Um, it's fun for the fans. Um, 
the other scene, he was stuck in a cell with Catherine, and he was recounting Ooh. his um, days in the war, turning into a vampire, and uh, there was maybe a little something there. I don't know. But so I think maybe at that stage, you guys might have been kind of feeling out where this character was, was going to sit. But um, by the time I got to, to set, it was the scenes were different. You know, the character's name was different. And when I did audition, it was one in an American accent, American accent, and one in a British accent. And um, happy they went with the British one. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's my memory of, of casting you is watching all the audition tapes and being like, I don't know if there's anyone in here. So then someone was like, look at Michael Malarkey. And I was like, I think I saw Michael Malarkey. They're like, look at the British Michael Malarkey. And I watched that <laughs> and I was like, holy cow. And it just, it's the dumbest cliche. It's the dumbest <laughs> effing cliche that like nothing makes a writer feel more talented than their words <laughs> being read by an English actor. And, and I remember Ian saying to me in season three, the aforementioned, you know, tearful conversation where he's mm -hmm. like, why are the originals getting all this story and David's <laughs> just stuck being the good guy? And I was like, I mean, have you heard them speak? <laughs> <laughs> they make me feel really talented. <laughs> you know? um, That's great. But yeah, no, you're adding Michael Malarkey to this cast was the greatest thing we ever did. Oh, you it. became a, a friend to everyone instantly. You were a great calming presence. You were professional, respectful, and kind. And you have a great wife. And uh, it was such a thrill to get that piece of casting right. Because we talked about this in an earlier episode, but you were supposed to be the third Salvatore brother. Like, that was, right, Brett? Didn't we go down that road for quite a long time? That was the pitch. A hundred percent. Yeah. That, that was always the, the plan, and then it went a different direction, but that's why it was so hard to find the person. And yeah, I, I remember that casting, and you were like, no, I looked at everybody. I don't like anybody. I remember the room was really excited about Michael, and then you saw the British Michael, which you had not seen, and you were like, oh, that's the guy, like 100%. <laughs> but yeah, that was why it was such a hard process, as we thought it was going to be a Salvatore brother uh, was going to be the story. So we cast a very wide net, looked very hard, and that explains those sides you probably read, Michael. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's cool. If he was a Salvatore brother, he was in love with Catherine. So it just comes with <laughs> yeah. the job. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's get to season eight. The obvious kind of starting point is just the decision that that would be the final season. Like Julie, what do you remember about oh. kind of coming to that? Now's the time to end it. Oh God. Okay, so it's all going to have to come back to me in pieces, but. <laughs> First thing I should say is that, again, I, I just said this, but like over the course of eight seasons, everybody wants off the show at a certain point or another. And then it becomes at the end of every season, everyone like wants off the show and is like, can you write me off for next season? And like, there's just always that cyclical like burnout. And then you come back around the next season, everyone's happy again. And this season happened to coincide with the boys renegotiating their deal for this last uh, this last season. And they had sort of been like, this is it, right? And the deal itself was really hard to make. And Nina was gone. And we, you know, as writers, we've been exhausted for eight years and we loved the show so much, but like, we were just, we didn't want it to suck ever. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. I just feel like between feeling like Paul and Ian were probably close to done and, I was kind of running out of stories 
and Dreezy had moved on, Brian had moved on. And like, you know, so you just started to feel the sense of like, we could keep this train going for 10 more years and pass the torch and and be supernatural and like keep passing the torch to mm-hmm. everybody else. Or we could end it and really feel like we told a complete story. And that like the the the, the franchise lives on in the originals. Um the but the vampire diaries, the mothership, so to speak, can have a real true and thoughtful beginning, middle, and an end. And we kind of really thought like if we know going into the season that this is the end, we will be able to do it so much justice. And while it's bittersweet and really sad, I mean, I cried every day for a year in that writer's room, um, making the decision and then all but like it just felt like no so few storytellers get to do that where they get to know the ending that's coming Mm -hmm. and they're not canceled and they're not told, Oh, you can't come back. Like they're not fired. Like you actually get to see a story from like minute one to minute end. And that to me felt like such a, an honor that I wanted to like have that for the show, for myself, for the ensemble. And like, we just wanted to kind of feel it in the most powerful way and bring it to a close in the most like celebratory way. So then we really thought about how we wanted to, honor the fan experience and announce it so that it wasn't just like, Oh, you know, deadline Hollywood tells you the show's coming to an end. And they always use the word canceled when the show's okay. coming yeah. to the end. And it, it's like, that's my, my mission statement in life is to get entertainment journalists to stop saying a show's canceled when it like purposefully is coming to a close. But we got super excited about how to break the news and decided to, to make a whole video, um, a goodbye video and to really milk it like in a good way. Cause we just wanted the, we wanted the beginning of the experience, which would have been Comic-Con of that mm-hmm. year, that final year. We wanted to like invite the fans in on the ride of our goodbye so that they could experience it along with us. And that one, I mean, I cried making that one. Didn't we do like a preliminary tease post that's just said hashtag TVD forever or something. I feel like oh, we kind we of floated have. something out before to kind of yes. in an ominous way. And I remember announcing it at Comic-Con and the whole room just going huh, like, ah, uh, like there was a yeah. silence and it's like, ah, huh. and then everybody starts crying on the panel. Brett, were you there for that one? Yeah. That, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a, there was an awkward lack of applause because uh, <laughs> everybody was just emotional. Well, let's let's get into the actual plot of the season. Obviously, you know it's going to be the end. I'm very intrigued for Julie and Brett, the discussions in the writer's room about, like, the decision to, like, go all the way to do hell, to introduce the devil, to kind of have that be your final story. What was it about that that seemed right to you all? Well, I, I think I think historically we'd always been very allergic, and Julie had always been allergic of those terms, right? Like hell and demons and devil and soul and mm-hmm. certain words were kind of just not stuff we touched. It was always the other side, and, and it was always grounded. The Vampire Diaries is, you know, as supernatural as the show is, always tried to exist in a very grounded place, and and it just felt like the end gave us permission, I think, more than anything else. Obviously, the sirens had sort of crossed us over into a more supernatural. We had never touched things like that. And so who who else could did you want to see the Salvatores beat but 
but the devil. And so it was always our version of the devil and Cade and, and an alternate universe and, and things like that. But that was yeah. clearly the metaphor. And we just decided to sort of go all in on it in, in the best way because, uh, which of course then handed off to Catherine, right? Because who's worse than the devil? I mean, so it always came back to what we do, but we just got very excited about the story and it seemed to work. And, and we found a version of it that Julie liked that was comfortable, that wasn't too far, we felt. How are you here? The bell rang 11 times. One shy of visiting hell upon this earth, but enough for me to pay a visit. We can do better. We'll work together. That won't be necessary. <gasps> I'll handle it from here. <gasps> It was like the the other side was always our version of purgatory and peace was mm -hmm. our version of heaven. And so we were finally able to say, okay, well, what's our version of hell? And to tell the origin story of that, how it came to pass and how it was born out of like such terrible mistreatment of a human being that that darkness traveled with them and became like a vengeful darkness. And, um, and, and it was fun to be able to, you know, to, to do that. I think for us, too, it was Catherine got so sucked off into somewhere. Right. And so the argument was always she had to go somewhere. And we know it's dark. So what if it's this place? You know? Yeah. What if she has the devil wrapped around her finger still? Of course she would. Incredible. God bless that lady. Obviously, the start of season eight, because seven ends with Damon and Enzo being sirened. There's like creepy hands on Michael's face mm -hmm. being pulled back. Michael, what was it like for you, the start of eight, to just kind of essentially get to play? It's just you and Ian off the rails. Like, what do you remember about those episodes? Wasn't any acting involved. <laughs> <laughs> Ian and I had been kind of subterraneanly, it's not a word, but it is now, pitching <laughs> to work together more because we'd started off working together a lot and we had an immediate right. um, chemistry. And connection as people, you know, um, and uh, we really enjoyed the work that we did together. And then we kind of trickled off and did our own things for a while. And, and we were we were kind of pitching hard to, to get to do some stuff together again. And so when we saw those first scripts, we were delighted, obviously. First of all, let me applaud you on your quick reflexes. The way you just whipped by me, it was impressive. Oh. What is this? This is what is known as a slow night. I mean, I thought we'd go with the old guy in the road standby, and you almost got by us. Yeah, maybe it's time we uh, let this one go. It hurts. What do you want? We could use a ride. It's the least you could do. Come on. I'll drive. I always like when characters are quarantined in a, uh, not actors, but characters up here. I'm in my own quarantine, but um, quarantined into a certain environment where it's just them and another character or something. And you really get the kind of nuance of conversation and um, really get to see those characters isolated. And um, so it was fun. You know, it was really one, a new little world that we hadn't really lived in yet, I suppose. And, you know, I, I, I adored my character and I feel like this was 
also one of the reasons why I did just how how strong he was mentally and how that showed mm -hmm. how he's you know over the years been able to withstand not only physical pain torture but also mental strain and um it it, it was the cool, cool cool character development stuff that was still going on all through the seasons you know i never feel like a character i'm playing is set in stone i like to kind of constantly discover them and find new um things about them and let them change let them progress um, i think it's a trap when you think you know your character so much because you're you're not open to sometimes what's what's unraveling in front of you and i felt like the storyline with sybil really made me find enzo in a different way and also helped to really build the foundation of his relationship with cat you know based on his mm -hmm. strength and his loyalty his in my opinion correct moral code you know <laughs> um, which he had he had a really you know even when he was bad he was always doing it for a reason that he thought was was the right thing to do sure. unless i just justified it that was the reason we were always in our hearts willing to let Bonnie fall in love with a vampire hmm. because we'd always said along the way that that was just, that was the Rubicon that she wouldn't um, cross. And, and yet Enzo's moral code was so strong and based on her, the evolution of her friendship with Damon and interestingly also her friendship, you know, with Elena that, realizing that like I can love this person because he's pure even if he is the thing that I spent the early part of this series fighting against and mm. that's why I loved their love story so much because she finally was like opening herself up to love from from this person and loving him just so beautifully yeah yeah they both kind of fell into love um literally it's a beautiful thing when you see two people that are so guarded against such a thing over over years of you know the wrong journeys with love um mm -hmm. finding that and both being coming from the same place and uh, allowing each other to grow together and becoming stronger and I, I will always fight um for uh What's the word I'm looking for? I'll fight. I'll always fight the corner of justifying Enzo's death for poetic justice, for for poetry of the piece, um, if you will, because I feel like you know not everything. And I've talked about this before, and it's often met with some light criticism. But um, I've I've always felt that it's important to show all sides to life and. Um, not everything is a happy ending. Uh, you know, everyone's screaming about end games, but it's just a fantasy, you know? And I think even though we are working in the fantasy world, it's important to show pain and show uh, how these things unfold and how to deal with pain. And I think that was the beauty of this story is showing how Bonnie deals with grief and finds strength mm -hmm. and power in what she had and doesn't throw it away. But, hangs on to it. And I think there is power in grief if you are able to channel with the people who came before, right? You know, your ancestors, yeah, mm -hmm. the, your family members who've passed away, you know, they're still there if you're listening. And I thought that was mm -hmm. the real 
beauty in that. And that's why I'll, I'll always stand by it. And um, it shows us a lesson that's more powerful than them getting married and having cats, right? Sure. I think. <laughs> I'm a melancholic, yeah. so, you know, <laughs> I, love, I love that shit. That was a that was a rough day. Enzo's death was the one death, probably of the whole series, where I think we all wondered if we went too far. You know, mm-hmm. like we knew we needed Stefan to do something absolutely unforgivably horrible. You know, because that was that journey. Um, and Brett did chime in because I know that, that we talked about this a lot. You know. Um, and we knew, like, in I think in our heads, we wanted to get to the end of the season where after, you know, everything that Bonnie went through, that she would have a clear, like, the deck would be cleared for her to go off into the world where she wasn't defined by her magic. And she could, you know, and I've talked about the settling down with Matt Donovan in the, in the, in the future bitch, yeah. but where that she could find herself and, and be in her, in herself. Um, without all the burdens of everything that you know we put on her on the show, that was so tragic. That episode, that and then the, it, to make matters worse, it's like you're shooting that death scene, and it's the day after the election, the 2016 mm. election. Was it? And um, yeah, yeah, and you know you're out at a house that was oh, like a right. former plantation, plantation. <laughs> and um, there's a lot of feelings, a lot of lot of yeah. a lot of feelings that day. No, I think it's one of those where story-wise it was the right move. And, you know, it's just like you you know when the thing is right. And sometimes you've got to sit with it for a day because you don't like, because you love these characters so much, you know. It's like you got to kind of get there. But it was, um, there had to be loss. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. in the same way that, you know, S- Stefan had to take the bullet at the end of the show. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, but like these, <laughs> these are vampires and, and it's all relative in the world of the vampire diaries, I think, you know, but these, there's a lot of mass murder going on and like <laughs> everybody can't come out of that clean. And yeah. so that was really, it would have felt false if there were not some lasting consequences. Yeah. And, and, and I remember us thinking we're in the final chapter, like this is it. This is the end of the book. You know, and we knew that the end of the series would be an epilogue, right? But we were writing the end of the book. And in that way, everybody's end was was purposefully finite, you know, like we no death was off the table. Any character could have could have met their fate in this way. And we went through each character and decided like what is the righteous ending that sort of like either absolves them from their sins or pay, makes them pay consequences for their sins or sets them up for hope for the future because they've earned that hope for the future. Like all those, all those choices got to be made. I mean, that's what, so there, there was no easier season to break than season eight it, of eight mm-hmm. years of absolute torture and hell to break this show um, because we wanted it to be so good all the time. We never wanted to settle but season eight, at least like when you knew you could do anything you wanted, you weren't buying time, you weren't stalling, you weren't trying to like make a character work that like didn't work. You know, you're just like, you're just saying goodbye. And it was mm-hmm. fun. It was fun and very emotional. So if everyone was on the chopping block, Brett, I'll go to you. 
<laughs> How come Matt still lived? We talked in a pre in the previous episode. I asked if killing Matt Donovan was ever on the table, and they all talked about you. <laughs> Sam, it's always on the table, as far as I'm concerned. Um, we we tried. Um, all I can say is we tried and we we failed you all. It's like a cockroach, um, but. We, we tried. I mean, there were some pitches for a while. It was fun because it was going to be like, what's the pitch that gets Julie to bike? Cause it's going to be the greatest right. pitch ever. So we had him dead for as much as 48 hours at certain times because the pitch was so good <laughs> that she was like, fuck it. We're doing it. Like, <laughs> all right. And then she'd come back in and she'd go, no, no. And so like at, at some point you give up. And I think, look, Matt Donovan served a, a really like he was the human point of contact in that show. And, and that was what was valuable about the character. Did we always have the best story for him? No. Um, but, you know, if the show is going to come out sort of net on the side of humanity, which hopefully it does, mm -hmm. that's kind of the point. Um, him, him dying would have felt wrong at the end. I don't, I think once we got towards season eight, it would have felt cheap and it would not have been the right move at that point. Yeah, he actually survived. <laughs> killing him, <laughs> killing him at the end, right before it's all over, would have been. What has so all this pain and suffering been for? You know, Enzo um, on the like other hand. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, that's <funny>. yeah. <laughs> Although you also, and we've talked about this one a little bit, Julie, but I am interested to get into killing Tyler. That's the other kind of obviously until the final final death, which we'll get to. Tyler and Enzo. It's funny. It's like one brother got each, right? Damon kills Tyler. Stefan kills Enzo. What do you all remember about the conversation surrounding killing Tyler? In order for Damon to come out the other side mm -hmm. of this, you know, sort of possession by the sirens and to give him a journey that will take him to the end of the series and for, to get him to a place where he believes that he is not worth living, that Elena, you know, if she were ever to return, would never love him again. That like, that he, you know, to, to bring him back into his own self at rock bottom, we knew that he had to do something that was so totally unforgivable. You know, it's like a broken record. We tried that in season two, backfired. <laughs> um, and that he needed to like, really 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 go down a bad 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 road and so it was jeremy or tyler mm. um both were two characters that had you know since left the show without dying although i mean jeremy but they both died multiple times but we're still alive in our universe so it ended up being tyler and and that actually i'll be honest about that i regret that as having been the end of Tyler Lockwood's character. If I look at the whole mm. thing in the aggregate, even though we struggled a lot writing, writing him uh, in non, you know, um, non-Caroline years and non-werewolf years, we struggled just to find a story for the character. We loved him, but um, we loved Trevino, but I just felt like, oh man, like, okay, bye. <laughs> and, and, it was shocking and it worked, but I was sort of, that's why I was happy to bring it back at the end in the, in the finale for that one little moment. It's like, yeah. this character meant something to us too. It really did. And, and Trevino really meant a lot to us. So, but yeah, that was, that was an interesting choice. He's a good dude. <laughs> He's definitely a good dude. We just did a little short film yeah. uh, together just to go off piste, but it was his little yeah. directorial debut. And uh, yeah, it was nice of him to think and of me. And he's going to be directing uh, Roswell this year. Yeah, his first episode. He's getting his getting his gears oiled. 
But um, <laughs> he's got a good brain for that. You know, he sees everything. He sees a lot of stuff, and uh, I think uh, he's going to do great. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Now back to the show. Well, we've talked about the the sirens. We've have Sybil. And then we have the the sister reveal, which Julie, at that point, had you already worked with Kristen on containment and you pulled her into this, that? Okay. Yes. What an The greatest heartbreak of my life. The greatest heartbreak of my life was containment. I know. Ending after one season. Criminal. That was criminal. Right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> one of the great things was about being able to bring some of those players into the Vampire Diaries world. And Kristen, yeah. Kristen did a nice job. She was so good. She's great in The Handmaid's Tale. Well, oh yeah. If you've yeah, seen her in that, she's she's so good. Yeah. Better than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that girl. <laughs> What kind of went into, what was it about having them be sisters that intrigued you all in the writer's room in terms of kind of telling another another sibling story next to obviously a very Stefan Damon-centric season? Other than that, sort of always our go-to template is connect, finding the emotional connection in our villains. Sure. I don't know, Brett, do you remember anything specific about that? I don't actually. I don't. I don't remember why we couched them as sisters, other than the the mythology took us that direction. Or I'm trying to remember if we had come up with that episode that Neil and I had done, where you crossed them. I mean, it was kind of just mm-hmm. the, the 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 mirror to Stefan and Damon, right? Like it was a brother story, and here's an evil sister story, and um, who's going to cross? But I, I don't weirdly remember the specific conversations. I feel like it was always the plan from the jump though. That wasn't a revelation. They became sisters from the jump and that's kind of how it was. Yeah. Oh, because it was a dad's story. It was kind of Cade as their dad. It was that oh, it was yeah. the abandoned child. Like it really was that that's, that's what it was. And you know, the story of how they were stranded on the Island and, mm-hmm. and just, we love the siren mythology. And so I think it was just about building back from how do these, two young girls get stranded on an island and what we're in and how we can make that mythology sort of be grounded and, and work for us. Was there, did you all have like a final season checklist or wish list? Julie, I'm imagining you walking into the room and just being like, Steriline wedding is happening. Yes. <laughs> well, yes, we did. We had a list of unresolved threads. Mm. Things that we had like, cause I, from the jump, with the minute we started the show, I said, we will never introduce something that we don't know how to, to pay off or that we don't know how to answer. Every television storyteller prior to that, because DVDs did not exist, could totally write whatever the hell they wanted and on like a mysterious cliffhanger and then never go back. Like the minute DVDs and then ultimately like DVRs were a thing, like you you had you were held accountable <laughs> for your own choices <laughs> and you couldn't just like be like oh that's cool I'll, we'll figure it out later but every now and then there was a thing that would like that would 
leak through that we couldn't ever figure out how to resolve. And I think that when we got to the end of the season, the only thing left on that list was what did the letter that Sheriff Forbes wrote to Caroline Mm -hmm. when Caroline's Mm -hmm. humanity was off and Caroline burned what did that say? And I don't think, did we ever figure that out? Like, I think we finally mm-hmm. gave up. I'm like, well, one one remaining thread is is okay. Some and things are better can't... left unsaid, Jules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you remember, did we have, like, I couldn't remember what else was on the list, but there was, like, a little list that we had to, like. Oh, sure. I mean, endings are easy. I mean, they're hard to, like, nail and do right, but, like, you know all the things you want to do. I mean, eight years, like, like Julie said, season eight was just a, you know, Vampire Diaries is probably the hardest show anybody has ever broken. And we did like, what, 180 something of them? And 72. But I guarantee you, we wrote 270 of them. Um, right. And it's just the hardest show to break because it's about 250 year old dudes without jobs. Like, that makes it impossible. <laughs> like, it's the hardest thing ever. Like, nobody yeah. has anywhere to be, nobody has anything to do. Um, so, drink. it was really. Except drink. Exactly. But it really became about what are the. That show was built on what are these characters saying to one another? Mm. And that is very, very difficult. How are their interpersonal dynamics shifting? But by the time we got to season eight, we had obviously built up such a tapestry of things and relationships that paying them off. Season eight was the reward for all the hard seasons. In terms of just getting to go, this is an episode. I can't wait to do this because it was always like, how do we do this? But then keep this going. And, and that mm-hmm. show burns story relentlessly. And so to bring those stories to a close, it, it was fun to think about those things. It was beautiful. Yeah, it really was. I mean, that, that was why I wanted to, to come back and be a part of that season was the to bring something to an end was really beautiful. And to bring that experience that we'd all spent years together on was one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. And it was sad and heartbreaking. And, but I mean, I remember saying goodbye to those sets and as actors wrapped and realizing my last pickup shot was Damon on the concrete ground outside the Salvatore house for another episode. But I, I remember all those things and, and they're indelible and, a bunch of us flew out and went to set for the last, you know, we were there with Julie when she was directing and called rap. And it's just, it, it was a beautiful experience. So season eight was a joy in that way. There was a real festive air about the last couple months, you know. Mm-hmm. It was an Irish wake, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was an Irish you know, wake. Absolutely. It, it, it was definitely, you know, a lot of, a lot of older characters flew back in and you kind of got to see all these familiar faces over the years. And I didn't know all of them, but you know, I knew enough to, uh, to feel that love. Yeah. uh, It was cool. And I felt the same. I felt, I felt like it was really, it it crept up, it crept up on us too. I mean, like all of a sudden you're done, right? Because you're pushing through, oh, it's the last season. There's loads to get through. And then all of a sudden the time just gets, you know, thinner and thinner and then it's out. I'm out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool. It was, a, it was and I, I second that it was a special, a special time in my life too. And, uh, having my first kid during the filming and, uh, falling in love with Atlanta, you know, I ended up moving back there and getting a house there and, um, a lot of good memories. So, uh, I'm always, always grateful and think, uh, happy thoughts when I think of, all our time together there. I just think about you. I don't know how this hits for you guys, but just think about saying goodbye to those sets, you know, like how like memories and pain and suffering or great love, like imprints on spaces and mm. it, those sets were soaked in it. And yeah. um, actually last year, 
I, I had to go back uh, to those stages because uh, we were using a set for Black Lightning for Legacies, and it was weird. It was it was it was strange. Uh, just that there, there's so many ghosts there, and it's yeah. it's a different high school. And but this used to be the wood, and it's just. But I remember walking through those for the last time. But then you walk out in the woods, and it's all the same. And it's like the tree stump from Bonnie's funeral is still there. So mm. you know, and it's like you're like they don't know what that is, but it's all just the ghosts <laughs> of it was very. Yeah, a lot of ghosts there. It was it was a beautiful experience, though. It really was. Michael, you mentioned familiar faces coming back. So did you all know that you would have Nina for one episode? Like at the start of, like, did you know going into season eight that you would get her for the finale? Were you kind of writing around? You might not have Catherine be the big final bad. How did that go? I'll let you all take <laughs> we, that one. <laughs> <laughs> we, we wanted to approach her when we had a story. And we wanted to have a good story. So we wanted to break the story. And so of course we broke the story that like had her in multiple episodes. Um, and she was like down for it, like in, in like theory, right. You know, she mm-hmm. was like, yeah, just, you know, I, of course I want to come back and say goodbye. Um, and then you have to make a deal and, you know, sure. You make the deal and, and the way it all, you know, the way it all resolved itself is that she would be there for that one episode. and. And it was so scary because while we were negotiating, I was like, what if this falls apart? Mm. Like, what if we get to this last episode and we kept Elena in a sleep spell and we've spent the entire season building up to Catherine is literally the devil. We're like, (laughs) and, and what if this deal doesn't make? Because, for me, it's like there's a price for everything, right? Just pay the price. Yeah. But for the people that write the checks, there is not a price for everything. <laughs> and there is a tipping point in which they are not going to write that check, no matter how much you want it. And I was sweating so hard. for, And it went on for weeks, weeks before we closed it. It was terrifying because, like, the whole thing would have imploded. And I was just, like, in my head, I'm like, we're not, we're not going to think like this. We are – it's going to happen – gonna happen it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and it did happen and nina showed up and was just a fucking delight to have back she was happy to be there she was so engaged and so committed and just really really wanted to put elena away in you know with nothing but like commitment and respect and joy and she just brought it in spades and it was so great um but (laughs) i hope you enjoyed the little show i put on for you it's been a hoot watching you take on the devil. (laughs) Especially considering I've had him wrapped around my finger since the minute I stepped into hell. Why did you think he wanted you? Because I wanted you. Duh. Damn it, Catherine. Where is she? It really is the perfect revenge. At 10 p.m., Mystic Falls will burn. Precious Elena will burn. And I'm guessing one of you two Salvatores are going down with her. Should I place my bets now? It's, it's funny because oftentimes, they, they not you guys, but just in general production, the, the scripts get written before the deals get done. So you have, you know, get you guest on a show and they have a plan for you that you have no idea about. So you start kind mm-hmm. 
book and other things or whatever. And then it just becomes this whole mess. And it's like, well, why don't you just tell us straight up? Like, we want to do five episodes with you. <laughs> Can we carve out yeah. the time? It's just, there's so many complicated inner workings with studio and agencies and all this stuff that make it, make it difficult sometimes. Really hard. So, now we started but, losing, I guess, I can't remember which show, but like that was, it was either like Vampire Diaries or Originals or Legacies where like we had been rolling the dice for years and years and years on guest stars, especially guest stars through pilot season. Because, you know, it's like if you've got an arc for the last chapter of your season and it's pilot season, all your guest stars are like, we're not coming to Atlanta. We want to be in L.A. We want to be auditioning for pilots. And so we had to like be so crafty about like <laughs> writing people writing people so that they didn't have to work much, but so that we didn't have to write them off and like praying they didn't get pilots, even though we wanted them to succeed. Like all the emotional stuff of like, you know, what, but like not being able, no, knowing that even like we didn't have the money to lock them up to make them series regulars. So we just had to gamble. And more often than not, we got it right. But what did, what was the one that just boned us so hard? God, there's been a bunch uh, over <laughs> the years. It's, it's a more recent thing. I mean, obviously, um, you know, the problem now is that television's year-round. It used to be you had to dodge pilot season, and now you can lose somebody at the, the mm. drop of a hat. Mm. So, you know, True. we got Kung Food last season. You know, that one, her. Um, you know, that, that Olivia, who's the best, like that one really hurt. Yeah, and so we were like two days away from making her a series regular and, and she got kung fu and which we're thrilled for you know yeah, like at the end of the day it's like i mean you're going to be the lead of a show and you know she had been an intern at the cw uh, oh. affiliate in san diego like five years prior three years prior it's, oh, like, wow. it's such a beautiful story yeah it's such a beautiful story and and she is so awesome um but it happened to us a couple times for sure it does like we, I think our luck, our batting average was good on the Vampire Diaries. Yeah. Um, na nowadays, the landscape has changed, and it's very, very difficult because people can disappear overnight. Was Enzo originally like a three-episode guest star? Or like how did, did it always no. start as a larger <laughs> That's role? why it's funny that Michael's like, yeah, I don't know if it's coming for one. Because no, he was literally meant to be the third Salvatore brother. And, That's so funny. And we <laughs> kind of figured that if, if we succeeded in casting that he would be around mm. every time we brought on a new character, it was like, if the character succeeds, we'll kill mm. them because <laughs> it's a, it's a body that, uh, uh, that you're emotionally connected to. If it's that super success of both the character succeeds and the actor succeeds, then you kind of want to keep them as long as you can, you know? So, cause you love the actor and the character. And so you just don't want to kill anybody off, but really every character we created, we created to kill eventually. It's just like a matter of like, do they have a three episode arc or a one year, one year arc? Um, Enzo was always a longer game in our minds, even yeah, though we, we, we switched gears in, in the, the actual trajectory of a story. He was always meant to be around, but Michael didn't know that. They never do. Warm, it warms my cockles. <laughs> Speaking of killing characters, let's let's get to the big decision of which which Salvatore do you kill in your finale? Because I remember talking about this, Julie, when it happened. Of like, you guys had Damon dying for a long time, right? Oh yeah, we went back and forth in the writers' room all season long, hmm. all season long, and it was like you know pros and cons pros and cons pros and cons and we finally landed on we're killing damon that's the right thing to do he is the one with the consequence to pay 
You know, again, mm-hmm. Stefan was just morally a bit stronger of a character. But then Kevin came in, right, Brett? Kevin came in and was like, why the fuck would you do that? <laughs> and we were like, um, you know, that's always what happens in writer's rooms. You like, you become convinced of something as a group. And then one person with an outside perspective comes in and is like, you're wrong. And, and then you realize that mm, probably it was that more than that. It was just Kevin being like, why would you kill it was that I, I remember too it's like we had like really thinned out at that point for whatever reason because i remember the finale was kind of like you me neil reynolds and then kevin came and we had had the break and we'd had all the discussions in the group about you know look damon's a fairly obvious choice um that you're always going to feel like i think that's when you watch the show but kevin was also a very classic pitcher against the flow like that's his thing kevin will always explore the opposite if um yes. and so he loved the whole episode and and we spent like two days with him and it was a really great it's one of the things i remember most fondly is you know as the lights are going out in the office kind of and people are leaving and cleaning out their office and the finale's all up and kevin just was like i love everything but it should be stepping um because the big move of that pilot was realizing that the hu- uh one of the brothers being human meant that they could be compelled Hmm. That was the great twist, was that Damon can now compel Stefan. Then you're right. You are human. Which is why I can do this. Go. No, Damon, you're not going to walk out of these tunnels. And you are not going to stop until my death breaks the compulsion. Because I am the big brother. I'm sorry I wasn't better at it until now. I said, go, go. And so that was the twist that that break hinged on. And then Kevin was like, yeah, except Stefan should double back and it should be, it should be Stefan. You love this, don't you? You have no idea. I gave him my blood. The cure. You what? Without the cure, I'd start to age. I'd be dead soon enough. So Damon's okay. He's okay. Yeah, we love the pitch that Damon compels Stefan to let him die. Mm-hmm. Like, after everything I have done to you, brother, like, give me this. Like, this is the thing. I'm going to take this bullet for you. And then when, the, then when we decide to sort of get to have our cake and eat it too, which is that, yes, Damon did that, but then Stefan, you know, after the fact reverse that we learned that later that really gave us everything that we wanted because it was really wanting damon to sacrifice himself because he's the one that had fucked up more you know right. in life and when all said and done i think it's great because damon is the one who having fucked up so much and and redeemed himself actually could now go and live the life that he thought he would never have whereas stefan really carried the consequence of all of his sins on a much heavier spiritual level. And it's almost like this was his way of, of amends, making amends for his past uh, misdeeds. And it felt like 
it felt like dying for Stefan freed him from a lot of weight. Mm. Whereas it felt like living for Damon freed him to go and be the man that he was always supposed to be. So the poetry of it at the end of it all was really nice. But yeah, we went. And then I wouldn't tell, we wouldn't tell Paul or Ian. Paul was dying, you know, because Paul wanted to die so bad. And like, he was like, you, you've got to kill me. you got to kill me. And he was dying, you know. And I would just fuck with him. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't think it's going to go your way. No, no, we'll see. He felt so bad about ripping my heart out. He knew. He knew. Yeah. <laughs> he had to go. That was really the breaking straw. Yeah, that was why, Michael. I, you're right. It was like, how could Stefan do that? Yeah. Yes. This one's for Enzo. <laughs> As the fireball's coming. It's this in parentheses in the script. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, our original pitch back, like when we had our moment of epiphany in like the W, like food court in Atlanta, back in season two, I think, mm-hmm. was the boys would sacrifice themselves to save Elena so mm-hmm. that Elena could go on and have a life and be human and. Um, and, and live, you know, so that like when push came to shove to save her, they would die together. And that was always the pitch Mm -hmm. from day, not day one, but season, you know, 1.0. And then when Nina left, it felt like the show has, the show can't be as much about protecting Elena's happiness, although that's important to us. But we want to protect the, the, these brothers' happiness. We want them to get something out of this. Um, brothers bond. So, brothers bond exactly. <laughs> so then it shifted to well, we can't kill both of them for her because that feels somehow like nobody got what they wanted, and like let's find a different way to give one of these brothers the happiness that they need, and the other brother the closure that they need. The early years of that show are. Or, or five good years of that show. It's a it's a love triangle between two brothers who are in love with the same woman. And I think when Nina left, it was we realized it's the show is a love story between about these two brothers. And and that's all. It's that simple. And I was just shouting out Brett that episode, your episode in the tomb with the M eighty three song. It's sort of being the moment when oh, we yeah. all kind of collectively were like, oh, this is a love story between these two now. You know. Not one of my favorite moments of the whole series. I remember you saying to me on set that like Nina leaving is what kind of like sealed, sealed the romantic contract between Damon and Elena because she couldn't fall asleep in love with one brother and wake up confused. And that's kind of what set you all on that path. And then, yeah, the brother hug that sealed it all is still one of my favorite moments. Yeah, it was basically like in in my mind, because we got, you know, we had Steph and Elena for the first three seasons. We got Dame and Elena together in season four. Knew we'd get like a good, you know, many season run out of that. But like in long running shows, eventually you want to start to kind of twist the chemistry around again. And I sort of thought that by the time we came back to the end of the series in eight years or whenever it was, that Neen, that Elena would have found her way back to Stefan. And Damon would have would have found mm-hmm. a different path, like recognizing this wasn't supposed to happen. But when we had to write her out because she was done, um, then yes, it it basically said, okay, this is now Damon and Elena are the love story that will take us to the end here. There is no more moving around here. Because I love the idea of Stefan and Caroline and Damon and Elena, and then like those That's couples right. sort of parting again and then finding a new final chapter for them, but. Life, life brings you other roads, and the roads that you take lead you to where you land. <laughs> and then I, I actually like, I love the Sleeping Beauty spell in a way. You know, I love being able to do the show without Elena, and 
be just as much in love with it as always, you know, not, not, nothing against mm-hmm. Nina and Elena. I mean, it's just like the heroine is the hardest character to write for always mm-hmm. because she's kind of the one that's always making the right choice and doing the right thing. And, and it, and always has to be sort of like driving the train and it's just going to get really tedious. And so freeing ourselves from Elena as writers was actually a really nice turn. All right. Anyone have any final season eight thoughts? <laughs> Well, I just, you know, it's um, saying goodbye. Brett talked about watching the show, you know, walking through the sets. And and I felt that every day I was there for that last season, like one day soon, this will all be over and these sets will come down and it will be like it never existed, um, which is super emotional, you know, and, and, and yet now it's years later and it's lived on and every year there's a new group of 12 year olds discovering the show and it, you know, it's, it's been so much fun reliving the show and the experience mm-hmm. of making it with this Sam, thank you for entertainment weekly for doing this. Um, yeah. And, you know, but even as we celebrate it, I think it's important to also acknowledge we've talked about it a lot over these eight episodes that there were choices made in storytelling back then that don't really hold up today as a beacon yeah. for how we want our world to be. And and for me, you know, having learned a lot of lessons along the way, it's sort of none more apparent. And then the fact that can candidly kind of humbly admit and realize that I personally didn't make certain elements of representation, especially black representation, a priority in the writer's room. And as a result, made mistakes along the way that caused harm to people. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to say that because we've had such a good run celebrating this show and it is so beloved by a lot of people, but there are some people that kind of, you know, rightfully so can point a finger and say, mm, you kind of messed that up. And and there are places where absolutely um, we messed that up. And I will say I messed that up because I was in charge. So I just wanted to kind of say that out loud. I mean, we all go into the world telling the kind of stories that represent the way we want the world to be. Very well said. Absolutely. Thank I you for having me as a, well, guys. A beautiful note. Yes, absolutely. Thank you all so much. And that brings us to the end of our Vampire Diaries binge. I'd like to thank all of the guests who joined me on this journey, especially executive producer Julie Black for being there each and every episode. Remember, we covered every season of the Vampire Diaries on this season of binge, so go back and check out those episodes if you haven't already. Also, remember to subscribe to EW's Binge for more seasons covering binge-worthy pop culture. And if you like what you heard, please rate and review the podcast. And be sure to follow Entertainment Weekly on Twitter, at EW, for more Vampire Diaries coverage. Binge is also a video series if you'd like to check that out at EW dot com slash binge and you can find me on twitter at sam heifel thanks for listening